the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. We can help your company and your employees look forward to tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. So, hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week, we're live in front of a studio audience in the Irish Times building on Tara Street, and I have a stellar panel of experts with us to discuss the future of banking services and how digital disruption is threatening the traditional uh, mode of banking. Uh, we're going to be asking, how exactly is banking being disrupted by digital? Who are the disruptors and what's their plan? And how are the banks responding to that challenge? To tease out these and many other issues, I'm joined by David Duffy, who's the CEO of CYBG PLC, that's otherwise known as Clydesdale and Yorkshire Bank. He was also the CEO of AIB Bank here in Ireland from 2000, late 2011 till uh, sort of spring 2015, thereabouts. Uh, also by uh, Mairead Jackson, who's a managing director with Accenture. She's the expert on financial services. Uh, she's going to be telling us uh, a little bit about fintech, uh, artificial intelligence, uh, and maybe giving us a flavor for what's going on in other markets overseas. And I'm also joined by Gavin Kelly, who's director of distribution channels with Bank of Ireland. He's the man in charge of the bank branches, so if you have any complaints uh, about your local Bank of Ireland branch, <laughs> he's the man to take it up with at the end of the day. Uh, and he'll be telling us about how Bank of Ireland is uh, subtly changing the way it does business uh, in its branches. And uh, just to remind you, if you're listening in, that you can download this podcast for free on iTunes, and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com. And I've also been asked to give a little plug for an upcoming summit being hosted by the Irish Times, an economic summit. Uh, with all of the political and economic turmoil on both sides of the Atlantic, we're going to try and tease out what it means for Ireland's economic recovery. And you can join leading politicians and business leaders as they address these challenges at our Irish Times Economic Summit on Tuesday, May 30th in the Shelburne Hotel in Dublin. Uh, tickets are available at irishtimes.com forward slash economic summit. And I can tell you that uh, some of the speakers who have already confirmed are Pascal Donoghue, the Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform, and Dr Loretta O'Sullivan, Group Chief Economist of Bank of Ireland and a colleague of Gavin's. Uh, David Duffy, we might start with you. First of all, welcome home. Yeah, great to be here. <laughs> um, we've missed you, uh, but how are you getting on uh, with Clydesdale? Tell us all about it. Yeah, great. I'm not sure if you know what it is, but it's a, uh, it's a kind of regional bank. Um, it was owned by Australians. And to, the one thing you have to know is you should never buy a bank for cricket tickets. Um, they mismanaged it into the ground. Um, I can say that because I've said it to them. Um, it is a SME 175 years history up north and then a mortgage bank nationally. Um, we took it on, did the IPO two Februarys ago. Um, uh, at a price of 180, and uh, I'm not sure how much it is to do with me, but the price is now 284. It's owned 80% by Australians, uh, who mostly couldn't give a forex um, about anything else other than trust and delivery of what you say you'll do. Their whole mantra, they, that's all they talk to me about. Deliver on your promises and you'll be fine with them. Um, it is a bank that we are building out a national capability, where the, what's known as, in the UK press, the only credible alternative to the big banks. You've lots of digital disruptors, tiny things. We'll talk about those, I'm sure, during the conversation. Um, and then you have a bank that can do digital, but also has three million customers to start with. We, are, we have SME and retail, most of the others don't. So it's a fantastic, um, I suppose, heritage, 175 years, the most loyal customers in the world. 80% of them with deposits have been with us for 10 years or more. So there's a long-standing liability side and asset side a lot of loyalty to the brand, and we are building that back from the NAB ownership as an independent PLC, a different choice to the incumbents. 
and we are putting in a digital model, which we'll talk about, which will be, and I would say this, but I mean it, the best and most advanced in the UK and one of the leading models in the world. So that's the fun. It's a lot of fun to do. It's also, you know, a very challenging job. But Yeah, um, fair, fair to say that you're an incumbent, if you like, in Scotland, in Yorkshire. That's where mm -hmm. your core yep. base of customers is. Uh, but you're very much a challenger bank uh, in terms of the UK as an overall market. You're only about 2% right. of that market. And that's what you're going after. And you're using digital to do that or to help you do that. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so the digital is very straightforward. Um, we built a platform on top of your legacies. Everyone knows about banks and legacy systems. Uh, above that, we put an open API. It means plug and play architecture. So anything out there in the world, from a fintech or anything else, plug it in like you would a lamp. So we built that. It's the first and only one of its kind in the UK. Then we launched on top of that the first applications of many to come. And one of the first applications is called B. It's a whole new brand we've created. So we have Clydesdale, Yorkshire, and now B pure digital brand. It is, in its first manifestation, you open an account straight through, online, without touching the bank in 11 minutes, the fastest of its kind in the UK. It's the only one that's neural. So it learns what you're doing. It learns you as a customer. So it's not just a file or an app. It is actually interacting with your behavior, and it is prompting you. And the most important part of that is not that it's weird. Uh, it's that it stops you incurring unnecessary charges, which banks love to give you. Um, it is very simple. It told me, for example, embarrassingly, two weeks ago, that I didn't have enough funds in my account for the upcoming direct debits based on my pattern of expenditure. And it was correct. I'd forgotten to transfer money in. If I hadn't had that alert, I would have been overdrawn and it would have cost me £35. So I want to know what you were spending your money on, David, because, I mean, come on, you're, you're well paid now. That salary cap from AIB, that's long gone. Yeah. I was putting all my own money into digital or bank shares. Um, it was one or the other. Um, but no, but I, th I think the reality is, what we're saying is, give yourself digital not as an instead of, not as a shiny new toy. It simply is a capability that helps you manage your money better. The level of literacy is very low. Manage your money better avoid charges, and build a customer relationship around the fact that you can trust the relationship with the bank and all of the services will be of that nature. So it's about designing a whole different customer experience, delivering digital, not in an excitable, shiny way, but as a very practical support for you in managing your money. So if you can get that balance right. So we're doing that, and that's the st so I'll stop there. There's be travel, be at home, all the other applications to make your life easy. What we're now looking at is the end state of banking. And we think that most of banking will be extinct in the not-too-distant future, and you don't have to cheer right now. But we think it will be very challenged. The core infrastructure of it will disappear. Maybe 70% of the employment will go. Everybody else is in banking. Most people are doing banking. Amazon has a credit card. PayPal's lending. Amazon, all the rest of them are all doing it. We'll talk about that today. They're doing it and investing more, doing it better, and have many interactions with your customer a day. So there will be a huge challenge in that. We think banking will move largely into a part of an ecosystem that's social media. So today, you probably all do it. You're you know, on Amazon or you're Prime, you're buying things, you're going to eBay, social media. You've got all the different pieces and your bank apps, and you do them together. We think that will accelerate, and ecosystems will form around financial services and also linking other things. So we're building out models which will give you Financial services, your bank, it will give you compare sites to look at other financial services so you're getting the best deal. And then we're looking at lifestyle and well-being and health being all integrated 
possibly even Spotify, whatever your fancy is, but create a suite of apps. You log in, one password in, and you have access to all the things you touch frequently during the day. Does that work? We have to see. But we think commerce will exist in that social media platform with the big players, and we have to build optionality to participate in that in the future. But the idea of a bank owning all of the channels it has today, you have no longer an entitlement to the customer, you don't own those channels, somebody else is going to take those channels away from you, it's already started. So what your advantage has to be is a regulated capability interface with the customer. Mm. Everything else, our primary activity in this is building digital, but deciding what of the bank materially we're going to cancel our participation in in the next few years. We're planning substantial extinction for the existing franchise and how you build into the optional universe of what that's going to look like. And it's very difficult for boards and executives when you don't know the end state. We've talked about it. You don't know the end state, but you have a sense of where it's going and you have to build flexibility into that. So that's what we're up to and it's fun and interesting to participate in. Gavin Kelly, uh, you're the man in charge of the bricks and mortar uh, for mm -hmm. Bank of Ireland, the branch network. It's, uh, it extends right across the yeah. country. What David is describing there, very exciting for the consumer, but perhaps a bit scary for you in terms of your, your branch network. <laughs> um, and it means that you really have to look at a different way of branch banking. Yeah, definitely. And I think like, the pace to change has been really what has taken everybody by surprise over the last few years. I mean, fintech and technology and financial services have been around for years. Um, you think about cards, you think about ATMs. I guess what digital has brought is speed um, to that pace of change, um, and that's what we've seen come into the market. So, like, our customer interactions with our bank uh, have doubled in the last three years. Um, just the way customers interact with us has changed um, and just dramatically. Just 3% of your transactions are now traditional over-the-counter yeah, transactions. Yeah, so 3% across the bank. 3% would be uh, traditional over-the-counter. We'd have a number of uh, other transactions would happen via uh, machines within branches and then largely digital, which would be driven by our mobile app. Half of our transactions now happen via our mobile, mobile app um, on a weekly and daily basis. The challenge for, for us is, is about differentiation, and I think you know, David touched on it there, is how do you differentiate your bank? Um, I think first and foremost, you have to invest in digital. You've heard the story that uh, Clydesdale are doing, um, and we have a similar plan in place to make sure we invest in our digital capability over the next uh, number of years, we've announced a considerable investment program in technology. I personally believe that won't be enough. Um, I think there's lots of great digital players out there. David has touched on a few of them that will always be great at digital. I think we have to be, as a base, um, be, be exceptional at di digital, but I think our presence in communities is something that we've done incredibly well um, over the years. So we've seen right through the last 10 years, um, the trust factor in our local bankers and our local branches has, has remained very robust and very high. So we believe great digital combined with great presence in community is what will differentiate us going mm. forward. So. You know, it's, so tell so, us about some of the interesting things yeah, that are going on so, in some so, of your branches. So what we would, we, you know, unlike a lot of other banks, we haven't shut branches. So we've kept our presence um, right okay. across communities. We've 250 plus locations uh, right around the country. Um, what we're doing differently with our branches is throwing open the doors. Um, we see uh, transaction volumes might go down to a certain level, as you said, three percent. We then take our tellers and we put them out onto the floor to meet customers um, and to converse with customers, talk to them. But more than that. We've all this presence and space around the country, so we're actually giving it out to communities. So, for example, in a number of branches, we've set up workbenches where um, we've invited business startups to use our presence, and not just startups, any businesses in the community. So they can use the space in our branches, they can use it for meetings, they can use it to interact with each other. 
Um, we've gone a step further in a couple of locations where we've set up a formal start lab where we've actually invited um, businesses to apply, startup businesses, to be incubated in one of our branches. And uh, we, we've huge success with that in our presence, our start lab in Galway, and are launching another start lab in Dublin, which will have a focus entirely on fintech um, companies, and that um, will open over the summer. So there are a couple of examples, but it's broader than just, say, fintech and technology and startup businesses. Community is really important to us. So a lot of what we do, for example, in schools, um, uh, getting out, talking, talking to kids about financial literacy, I heard David talk about earlier, um, really, really important to us. Getting into national schools, secondary schools. Anybody that has any sort of concerns or worried about the state of this country, spend time in one of our national schools or secondary schools. We, we do a thing called Junk Couture, which we're having a final um, up in the Three Arena um, on tomorrow night to see the innovation and creativity in second-level kids where they basically take um, discarded uh, recyclable materials and design dresses, costumes, etc. The, the standard is exceptional. Similarly, at primary school, you go in um, to, to we, we're on a thing called BizWorld, where we actually invite kids in fourth class to start up businesses and set up businesses. And it's a mock two days where we actually facilitate it. To see the creativity is incredible. So when we talk about the future of the country and everything that's coming at us, if you look at our kids in second and primary level and some of the stuff that we do, hugely important. But it's broad, broader than that. A lot of the branches that we're talking about here are in rural, smaller locations. And I think, you know, we've seen a lot of, uh, you know, you talk about mega trends and moving from rural to urbanization. But rural Ireland is, is at the heart of what we do in this country as well. So supporting the regeneration program in rural Ireland is important to us. So keeping our presence in those communities, running things like enterprise events where we literally get maybe 100 businesses in the town to exhibit their businesses in the local community hall. But again, putting a bit of pride back into local communities. And some of that's after hours activity as well, isn't it? Absolutely. Like the, the enterprise events always happen in the evenings. Um, we throw open the branches. They're used in the evenings for, mm. for, for, for things like coding, coding sessions for kids. It's about the space, um, but more importantly, what has always made differentiated banks and communities has been the people that are in those uh, branches. So it's about how we get that right um, as we move forward. And I think making sure we keep the footprint across the country um, is very important. Don't get me wrong, what we're doing in those branches is changing dramatically, as I said earlier, um, but keeping that footprint mm -hmm. is very, very important. Now, mind you, that was a strategy pursued by Richie Boucher, who's been CEO since 2009. Yeah. Uh, he announced recently that he's going to step down. So you're going to have a new CEO at some point later this year. And uh, with new CEOs, sometimes can come new strategies. So maybe they might have a different strategy I, I, to pursue. I, Kieran, passionately believe in this strategy. I think if we try and differentiate exclusively on digital, um, you know, you're, you're bringing into play everything that David was talking about. You start talking about, um, you know, the Amazons, the Googles, etc. And I think, you know, the type of open architecture or open banking that's coming with the payment services directive, you know, it doesn't mean that you don't invest in digital. You said we're literally putting hundreds of millions behind this in terms of our technology platform. But I think getting the combination right is a, is a strategy that I think it will work, and I think that's important. Okay, Mairead, uh, for the un uninitiated, explain to us, uh, explain everything about fintech and oh, how it's impacting it. on uh, financial services at the minute, on the traditional banking players. A, a fairly simple task, I would have thought. Okay, yeah. Um, oh, well, I guess fintech, you can look at it in many different ways. Think of them as, they can be tech startups, whether some of them you can say are specifically in financial services products, but you can also have technology companies that are relevant to banking and can fill some of the technology gaps that are in lots of legacy architecture. 
Um, then you have the big tech giants. Um, you've got you know, Googles, the Facebooks, the Apples, and so forth. And it is true that many of those are nibbling around the edges of financial services and want a cut of the revenue. Um, I guess we would look at a lot of that, and so a lot of our research would say that many of the big tech giants don't necessarily want the burden of a regulated balance sheet. Mm. So they're looking at ways to embrace and get involved in financial services, but not necessarily take it over. Um, and I suppose from our perspective, and certainly with even the two gentlemen here and, and our work with a lot of our banks, it's about making decisions specifically whether you compete or you embrace fintechs. And it's fit for purpose depending on what the fintech's doing or what the technology mm. company is offering. So what trends in fintech are we seeing at the minute? Well, in the banking space in particular, we would see that actually moving towards AI first as opposed to mobile first is the new trend. So as you mentioned, it's about analytics and looking at personalized services and making sure actually it's, it's honing in on the individual and not necessarily just on segments. Um, I do think that the branch, reimagining the branch is also a trend. So there is a, there is a need for or an opportunity for a branch to still remain, but it's all about what is the overall business model of those banks. So we certainly see the banks and financial services in general will be less homogenized. There is more of an opportunity for variety and actually you'll need to actually compete on a broader scale and look at the overall ecosystem. Again, are you going to be just a bank or as David alluded to, are you going to extend your reach and start sort of offering different types of services as you partner with other people? Yeah. Gavin, um, there's a bank, a new bank in the UK called Atom which you may or may not be familiar mm. with, but it's uh, styling itself as an online only, a yeah. digital uh, bank, doesn't have a branch network. And they have a, a Q&A uh, or frequently asked questions on their website, and it's, one of them is, uh, where is my nearest branch? And it says, uh, the answer that Atom provides is, uh, on your nearest tree, we don't have high street branches because they're unnecessary, no one wants to visit them, and no one likes queuing. You can do all your banking on your phone, wherever you like, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Is that not the future? I think there's, that's one view. Um, I think there's other banks in the UK that will, will point to the fact that they see a spike in mobile registrations when they open a new branch because customers like to see that, that the, the bricks and mortar presence there on the high street as well while they might do most of their day-to-day -day banking. Mm. They like I to think know Atom are using the post office as a conduit for some payments. So then they're kind of contradicting what they've said in their, their answer. So, I mean, uh, the, the, the physical presence, I think, is important. It's just, uh, as Maria said, it's reinventing it and what you do with it. But it's interesting when you talk about fintech because I think the key phrase is embrace or partner as opposed to be afraid of it. Um, and I think one of the things we've seen with, uh, with the start, start Lab and Workbench process is we've actually seen businesses and fintech businesses form. Um, so whether it's formal incubation, but we've actually taken investments in one or two different businesses um, uh, where, we, where, where we like what they're doing in the fintech space. So there's a company called Plink that uh, was set up in, in our branch not too far away from here in Grand Canal Square uh, that have developed a social payments app. And we're funding that through one of our, 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 our funds. And uh, again, because we believe there's something in this business. We've another, there's another company called Depository, which is an Irish startup. And these are Irish businesses starting up here in Dublin that are um, developing an escrow account to hold deposits when you're renting apartments. And they've actually are starting to branch out into the US. We had some floor space redundant in the US in one of our buildings um, in New York. Um, and uh, we, 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 we've given it over now and set up a start lab in New York because Depository want to, to branch out into the US. So that started in a Bank of Ireland branch and it ended up in a, in a really good Irish success story of a fintech company looking to launch into the US. 
So all of these things are connected, and I think that's why it's important. That there's lots of ways and, and reasons why some of them we touched on earlier, but linking into this fintech space of why keeping that high street presence is very important. David, if you were starting a bank from scratch, would you have an expensive branch network in the locations where you have it at the minute? Uh, no. Um, I think the, the community angle is very significant, very important. How you execute that can vary a lot. I think um, what we've been experiencing, because we have a big branch architecture, we've closed some branches, but we're busy opening up new branches. What is a branch becomes the issue. Uh, yes, you open it, you extend it hours, you have people come in. We're um, converting the main hubs to SME and retail integrated hubs that the primary purpose of is designed by customers of your bank. So we launched the third app B, or the third uh, brand B. We didn't design it. Banks are typically, we own all the intellect, we'll push at you and we'll do volume. Um, and then we'll dress it up in nice style, which is participation with you. Um, what we're saying is you operate the other way around. If you, so we're opening, we opened up Studio B in uh, London this week. Um, nothing to do with tellers. It is an incubation of technology. We say, so what's special about that? It's not our incubation. It is full. So yesterday when I was there, two large groups of customers, one retail, one SME, telling us how they want the bank to work, what they want to see, what the web should look like, what the mobile should look like, what they see as the use of uh, voice-activated AI, the design from them, so we're using it as a shop window where they come and design for us. That's one of the big things. Then, yes, education, SME, community involvement. The, the bigger shift, which we're also seeing around this, is that robotics and AI are, I would say, running like Pac-Man, for those who are old enough who remember it, eating up the entire universe that is on the screen. Um, to give you an example, we had a big processing unit. There were about 800 people. And uh, robotics, we put it in apply it, and 70% of that's not required anymore. And the robotics, the cost of that is something around 12%. So process activity, and frankly, 75% of a bank is basic process, can be eliminated with robotics. That's the first thing. The second thing is data and artificial intelligence overlays. So we, we have uh, Amazon coming into Studio B next week to demonstrate to our customers the latest version of uh, Money Talks which is Alexa, for those of you who know Alexa. It's very fun. I've trained it at home. Um, so whenever I get back from travel, I say with my partner there, Alexa, are you glad to see me? And it says, well, I'm so pleased to have you back because um, I've trained it. So I have a new partner. But uh, the model of that is very simple. What you used to do online or what you do on mobile, just do it with your voice. So you don't have to go to a machine. You don't have to be anywhere. The interesting thing was it took us in a new direction. So the entire of the bank by the end of this year will be device and location agnostic. There's no physical architecture required. Think about that. So everything you do is cloud-based. So we have an Irish HR company taking over our whole HR and making it cloud-based. Every single activity in the bank will become cloud-based. So now what? You don't need to go to the office. You may need to go to the office. We have an awful lot of capability in the AI world, where you're looking at the speed. So if you take Moore's law, we all remember, we were told computing power would double up. Then you added the cloud, which exponentially increased that. And now you put AI, where the level of learning has exceeded human's ability, human mankind's ability to process. That's a, you know, so Stephen Hawking's or anybody, much smarter people than us, will tell you exactly that. So robotics, is, our AI is advancing and a processing capability faster than the human mind. So what will happen is with robotics and AI, 
I don't think, I have a 22-year-old, three-year-old kid in banking, much to my great disappointment, and I've told him, get out of it, because most of what he does, all of what he does today is entirely replaceable, and the speed of that acceleration, it will be, he'll be gone in five years, and he's 23. So, so I think what we're trying to figure out is networks, buildings that you, offices you go to, content of jobs, offers of a job, all of those constructs are fragmenting. And where do you go with this? And it's not what do you want to do as a bank. The consumer has already decided what that activity is. So how do you fit and connect with that in the future? So th my biggest fear, as I was talking a little bit to you earlier today, is we don't know where that's going. And it's a little bit beyond our comprehension, the speed. And it's accelerating. So at the end of the day, we're clinging. I think the culture of banks is an impediment. I think most banks are about lifetime employment, me, myself, my, my benefits. That population doesn't really have a culture geared to massive innovation and to self-extinction. It doesn't really. So, so there'll be a real tug of war between the culture inherent in the status quo and the realities that are racing ahead at speed in the rest of the world. So a small economy like ours here in Ireland, how is it COVID? There's only three banks or so, and, and they all have the same thing and just different variations. And are they, and will you all, and same as us in the UK, Will we open up and say, what's the best in the world? What's the most advanced in the world? What's happening out there? Not what's happening across the road. And will we build our capability to align to that, even if we're not entirely sure what the end game is? It's a very existential challenge for a board and executives now to run a bank, because you're not going to be running it okay. in five years' time the way it is, and you don't sure. know the answer where you're going. So, unusual. This might be a good time to bring in uh, some of our audience uh, who are joining us here in the Irish Times building. Uh, Larry Broderick, you're General Secretary of the Financial Services Union. Uh, you're the largest trade union for bank officials in Ireland. Uh, you've heard David there telling us how a lot of the positions uh, currently occupied by bank officials are going to be replaceable by robotics and machines and so forth. How do you feel about that? And how are you as a union and your members responding? Well, I think, first of all, you know, David has always tended to exaggerate in the past and I've seen nothing has changed. Uh, I'm more focused on, uh, on, on the debate. First of all, I think this is a very good exercise that you're carrying out in the Irish Times to have this conversation. Uh, I'm of a view that nobody knows what the future will be. I think we have to factor in the three speakers and what they're saying. I think there is a role for a branch network. I would fully accept and so would staff work in the industry that that's going to change. The role of staff is going to change. But staff have a key role to influence that. I absolutely agree that we have to look at fintech companies. We as a union have moved away from a banking union to a financial services union. And a lot of those speakers encourage me because we're out talking to people in fintech to say that as this is developing, they need to be looked after and they need to have good terms and conditions of employment. And we may have to do that a bit differently than we've done it in the banks. And then on the third aspect, and David is right to draw attention to you know, the future where there's no people we're all robots and the still chief executives making loads of money. I think from our point of view, it is how do you balance that? And the debate has to be, where is staff in this? Uh, and there will be staff that will see and look at their futures and say, is this the place for me? And we have to see how do we address that? And that's not going to be easy. But there are a lot of younger staff who are joining our union saying, we're looking at the industry. We believe there's a role to play. But it will be a more professionalized role. It will be a different role. And that has to be managed very carefully. I think finally, I think all of that and all of those challenges, I suppose we're very much up to the, to, the, to the mantle. And the one thing I would say that we need government, though, to set out a strategy for financial services in Ireland today. My concern is that we leave it to the laissez-faire. 
of the organisations like David and people like that that come in very well intended, they do get carried away in terms of looking at where they want to maximise profit, what they want to try and do to reduce cost. And sometimes the customers and the staff and the, and the economies don't actually benefit from that. So we do need that other balance as well. But I think there are challenges and I think the trade union movement are at the centre of that to influence it. Yeah, okay. Thanks for that, uh, Larry. By the way, uh, how many members have you got at the minute? We have 15,500. 15,500. How many would you have had before the crash? About 23,000. Right, so it's already reducing. It's down by about a third. Yes, but there's, there's another 20,000 in the, as, as, as our speakers are in the fintech, and we're going to be pursuing them. And after today and after this live cast, I'm sure we'll do a great job in promoting it. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Gavin Kelly, I know that one of the things that the FSU has been calling for, Larry has made a submission to the Oireachtas Finance Committee about this, is that the banks should come together and agree a, a, a plan, if you like, that every community in Ireland will have at least one bank branch. It might be a Bank of Ireland in one community, an AIB in another, an Ulster Bank in another. Uh, is that practical? I, I believe that one of our differentiating factors in Bank of Ireland is our presence in communities, so why would I give that away? So you've no interest in that plan? None whatsoever. Right, okay. And Robin Marshall, who's the Chief Information Officer with Ulster Bank, is here with us as well. Um, maybe, Robin, if I could just ask you about that plan, you know, this plan that um, the FSU has put forward whereby the banks would come together and say, look, we'll have at least one branch in every uh, community around the country so that people have access to uh, cash and so forth. Is that something that Ulster Bank might be interested in? Well, I think from, a, from an Ulster Bank point of view, it's important to make sure that we respond to whatever our customers' needs are. And it's, it's not so much being preoccupied with the, the, the branch network or the branch distribution model. It's making sure that the customers can access banking services where they, where they choose to interact from. And much like the panellist early on, a large amount of our transactions nowadays are instructed via self-service channels. Clearly, there is a, a branch strategy and a distribution strategy which we are following, but that is also going to be augmented with additional points of presence which will be similar to but different to the existing branch um, footprint that we have today. So the important thing really is not necessarily to be sort of guided down one specific route, it's to listen to what the customer's mm. demand is actually asking for and responding in a timely manner to that. Now, Ulster Bank is a subsidiary of Royal Bank of Scotland. How much of your strategy around digital is driven by what happens at group level and how much by what happens here locally? Again, it comes back to listening to what the actual customer wants. So from a technology point of view, clearly nothing gets into the hands of the customer nowadays, really, unless it's got a very strong, resilient, robust technology infrastructure behind it. And in the, in the parent that we have with RBS behind us, we, we have that, that technology capability. And the investment that's being made by RBS over the, the next three or four or five years, our customers will directly benefit from. But clearly, everything that exists in the, the UK, UK marketplace may not be directly relevant for the customers here. So we look at, at what's appropriate. David's touched on the, the, this notion of ecosystem. How do we actually identify what is going to be relevant, not just today, but for the future needs of our customers and how they actually want to integrate banking into their digital lives? Yeah, okay. I should say, uh, I think I have to mention it, I mean, Ulster Bank is planning to close some branches in the Republic, but I think um, your CEO, Jerry Mallon, has talked about making some investment sort of alongside that uh, to maybe future-proof uh, the business in, in other areas. Is that fair? Again, it comes back to making sure that the right points are present. So, obviously, we have multiple distribution channels, which include the physical branch network. It includes ATMs, mm -hmm. includes mobile, includes internet, other self-service channels. So, it's making sure we've got the right points of access for the customers in the right locations. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life.
Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. Murray, Accenture does a lot of work uh, across Europe and elsewhere looking at uh, fintech and banking models and so forth. How, how does Ireland compare with other countries in terms of our adoption of digital banking? I mean, Ireland is, is, compares well and favourably. It is trying to invest. I mean, you'd see the, the two pillar banks and Ulsterbank have started to make significant investments in digital. And I suppose what we need to recognise is more have they made investments over a long period of time, continuous investments? So banks, like all of us, if you go to look at a house, um, you may have done, you may have an, inherited an old house um, and you may have looked after it, you may have put in central heating properly um, and you may have upgraded the windows, done everything perfectly along the way, or you may have decided you can't afford to have done that and you put on an extension after extension. And that's kind of been the case in you Ireland know, over the past decade because so, of... Yeah. The crash. Exactly. So in many cases, certainly in Ireland, obviously we diverted a lot of our, in, our, our attention to kind of effectively surviving. Um, other banks, if you look at some of the banks across Europe, they've had, and certainly in the US, they would have been able to kind of sustain, have sustainable ongoing investments. So therefore, in some ways, they've got a front foot. They've got less of the legacy constraints. Um, so they have been able to put the open API banking up front earlier, which means they can be digital first and they can move on to AI first in a quicker manner. But in fairness, you know, we are catching up and um, we're working towards the same directions. Yeah, David, I mean, you actually put in place a plan for digital banking at AIB. I think it's fair to say that, isn't it? Um, and that's been carried on by your successors. Mm -hmm. um, but in, in your view, having now moved to the UK market, uh, how does Ireland compare? Um, I, I think pretty well. And there's a lot of youth and a lot of technology in this country and other corporations, and I think that fuses it. Um, as Larry would characterize me as an ex-machina character here, um, you know, the robot. I think uh, the interesting thing is what I'm seeing out in the world that's slightly different is that banking is required, but there's since five years ago, the number of players who are doing banking, like Apple or, or it's Amazon, PayPal is lending. Um, they're all doing it. They're investing more and doing it better. So the question isn't about robots and jobs and banking. That's old architectural thinking. It is the fact that banking can be done by everybody else. You're no longer entitled to it, and you don't own proprietary rights to it. And the answer is it will be done by different people. So the question is how do you adopt? So I would see... The, the, the jobs equation can be one way or the other, as Larry would know, but it can be the different people. So if banking is done by many different people than it is done today, your responsibility in a bank is to understand how to adapt to that. Because you don't get to sit on a social, a social state model and dictate a defense against the rest of the world that's evolving at speed. So you have to figure out, so my defense would be, as a robot, would be that that does not compute, Larry, but it would be that you have to build a model of survival if you want to protect jobs. And that model for our bank is routine processing goes. We are, we'll make some announcements about fintechs. We're engaged with a bunch of them. And they're plug and play into our system. We're looking, in very simple terms, to quadruple the business. And jobs come with that. But we'll do it a very different way. And the idea that you take an architecture an infrastructure of a bank today with all its jobs and levels and grades and think that in five years that exists is just patently not the reality that exists out there. So the shift has taken place that many players will do banking. How do you fit with that? And in a digital age, how do you remain relevant? If you don't, I think it was Bill Gates said in one of your 
Well, in your articles, you know, we don't, we, we all need banking, but we don't need banks. And when people like that can say that, then you're in trouble. You're in trouble, yeah. Um, just remind us, how much uh, CYBG spending on IT stroke digital every year? Um, think of it as a small bank, maybe, what, 20, 25% the market cap of an AIB, and we're spending 350 million in two years. And if you think about the That's downstream, sterling. sterling, so we'd call it 400 and change in... So if you look at the downstream effect of employment of that, that's where the relevance is of employment. Okay. Um, you're free to, by the way, just for our audience, uh, you're free to, if you want to ask a question, just uh, let us know. There's a roving mic. Uh, Declan's going around with it. Uh, there's a couple of people at the back. Uh, Mark Paul, my colleague, uh, business affairs correspondent with the Irish Times. Go ahead. Hi, Karen. How are you doing? Hey, I suppose this is a question for David, really. It's, um, <clears throat> it's around uh, customers and security and trust. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, if you wanted to rob a bank in the past, all you needed was, you know, a balaclava and a shotgun and a Honda Civic or something outside with the, with the engine running. But now all you need is a laptop. That's all you need. Um, and, and nothing, absolutely nothing is unhackable. I mean, just ask the Democratic Party uh, in the US yeah. uh, and the last presidential election. How do you deal with the issue of customer security and how do you build that sort of trust with customers? And, and you know, is, is, this, is this one of the bigger issues that, that, that faces the shift to digital banking? Yeah, I, I think... It, the shift in the digital world, of which banking, let's call it, one of the marbles in a big bag of marbles. Um, so the world has shifted to digital, and consumers are going that way, and that's how a lot of commerce gets done. So then, cyber, in the context of that, some would argue at the extreme end that that's the end of civilization as we know it. Um, the reality is cyber is going to exist, and you, know, you have to build your defenses like you built your security around a physical branch. And I'm not sure you would have robbed successfully with a Honda Civic, but anyway. Um, the, the interesting thing for us is we have positioned the bank as inevitably being in a universe within two to four years where a bank is hacked out of existence, and in digital terms rather than physically. Um, but it's just not going to survive. And you saw Tesco and what happened there. Very simple, very quick, massively damaging. That will happen, and other industries have had this problem. Um, the number of attacks on nuclear plants per day ranges in the 15 to 20 in the U.S., so we know something will happen in the financial services world. It's going to be a target because there's money available if you are successful. A lot of money came out of Tesco. So what you have to build in our mind is the long-term survival is a local community touch, a little bit like we're saying, Gavin, you're talking to people locally. The people who are dealing with you know there's a place they can go. They have a physical person. They know somebody. Not the architecture of today, but there's a presence, even on a hub basis where banking is a serious business. It's very grown up managing money and building your wealth for your life and protecting it. So having that physical element, but supported by absolutely all the convenience the consumer wants in their lives digitally. But you have to have both. Because I think it, I saw a statistic the other day, only one in 10 people would ever go to a bank that was pure digital. And that's because of that residual fear of security and stability. And what I worried about is that the digital drive was so much in the UK, at least, I'm not sure if everywhere else, so many shiny things and statements like, you know, a branch, the only branch is on a tree. You know, I think it's extremely dangerous because it's encouraging people to think pure digital is a solution to human needs, and it isn't. You have to have the complementary mix of the two. The difference for me is that the balance has massively changed, and you need to get yourself adapted to that. But I think cyber... You cannot protect yourself from cyber. As we've said to our board, and we said in the industry, the regulators, you will have this. It's not so much whether it happens to you, it's how you respond and protect the bank subsequently, because it's going to happen. And new ways 
We look at the industry bodies, they talk to the US bodies, they, you know, everyone's in this game together, preventing and de detecting, and there's a new initiative, probably once or twice a week, a new style of hacking to get around the existing defenses. Mm. So absolutely have physical as well as digital. Actually, life. on that point, Gavin, without giving away any state secrets, um, are your guys, your IT guys, finding that every day somebody's trying to hack into the system? Well, a bank of our size, you're always going to have people, um, particularly on things like fraudulent emails, etc., targeting. So I think to pick up on David's point, there's two aspects to it. One is the bank itself and making sure that you're constantly staying on top of security in the digital age, but also helping your customers. And it's back again to the point of where, how can you, the digital and the physical world converge? As an example, we, we had 30,000 of our senior customers uh, in our branches last year for what we call tea and teach sessions which are exactly what they sound like. It's a cup of tea and teaching and uh, sessions on digital awareness. Hugely successful, because I think one thing I'd say from um, uh, senior customers, they don't like people saying that the internet has passed us by. Like some of our most avid users of our, of our app are what would be called traditional senior customers who allegedly don't want to use mm. uh, digital Well, I think presence. it was Michael O'Leary said that uh, OAPs were, uh, they, they were acting like bandits on the, on the web. <laughs> yeah, well, there you uh, go. Picking, <laughs> picking up uh, the cheap <laughs> fares that he, he yeah. was putting out in the market. Yeah. So I see from, from our perspective, I think that there's the two sides to it. There's absolutely the bank and everything investing in technology, but also awareness of our customers, not to be afraid of digital, embrace it, because David's right, we're, we are getting into that, that digital world and there's definitely a shift but there is still a physical world out there. Mm -hmm. We all live places, we all uh, participate in communities, we participate in sports clubs, we participate, um, and we're very proud of our communities. And it's one thing about Ireland that, you know, I think differentiates us from a lot of other countries is that pride, and I think how we facilitate that. So a lot of the talk around banking, uh, to me it's about banks do well if their customers do well. Um, customers do well if the economy is going well. And I think yeah. making sure that our purpose isn't just about the banking services, it is about supporting customers um, that we touched on earlier, but equally it's about making sure that we're doing what we can to help the economy as mm. well as in terms of growth. But just coming back to cybersecurity, yeah. I mean, how many, how many people would you have employed to make sure that somebody doesn't hack your system? I don't have the number off the top of my head, but we certainly have a, a dedicated team uh, looking at mm. cybersecurity on an ongoing basis. Murray, do we know how much is being spent every year by the various banks around the world to counter cybersecurity? I know it's a big issue for regulators. At the minute, the Central Bank of Ireland here has called it out a number of times that it's, uh, it's concerned um, about cybersecurity and the potential uh, for you know, a breach at some point. I wouldn't know the number at the top of my head, but it's certainly a priority in, the, in financial services. And I suppose it comes back to what, are the, what is the solution? So in a technology world where fraud is bigger than the drugs industry, um, actually what people are doing is using technology to actually combat it. So it comes back to the use of AI actually and analytics. We're moving away from judgment-based decisions, whether you should accept or reject a, um, an actual payment, to actually kind of use an analytics to try and inform and reduce it, bring it, the list of potential fraudulent transactions for a fraud analyst. So yeah, we'll need more fraud analysts to be able to look at that informa information and make a judgment call if the roles are moving in a different direction. Um, so we're seeing that. We're also seeing, obviously you talked about cloud. Um, an awful lot of financial services are embracing cloud, and so banks are embracing cloud. And uh, the cloud providers then are providing huge investment in their infrastructure and ongoing investment which is very difficult for a single bank to be able to do on their own right. Yeah, sure. Let's take another question from the audience. Uh, this gentleman here, you might just give us your name, if you don't mind, uh, before. Sure, yeah, uh, my name is Paul Kelly. Uh, it's a question really from a raid, I think, just given your overview uh, of the Irish financial landscape. With PSD2 coming up, 
was just wondering what your view is of the readiness of the Irish banks, both in the perspective of compliance, but also maybe of the opportunities that it could offer the Irish banks. PSD being, yeah. I presume, Payment Services Directive. Yeah, so again, Payment Services Directive is all about, again, open API architecture. And yes, there's some specific changes we have to make around security, actually, when it comes to all the online channels. Um, I suppose if I look at all the banks, whether it's the Irish banks or the European banks, they're all looking at what does it mean for them to be A, compliant, but B, what's the opportunity? And a lot of the banks that we work with, certainly, um, it's back to actually this is a, a good platform or a good direction to start looking at the ecosystem. And it's about, the, about actually what is the extent of business models for banking. So it comes back to that whole point of homogenous banking is no longer where we're going to be. It's about using the open architecture, as David talked about and even Gavin mentioned, and looking at how do you use now these open APIs to embrace fintech, but also to help embrace you know, other new startups which may not necessarily be in the financial services space um, and actually allow them to actually make payments and do in-app payments and so forth. Other banks which have been around and using open APIs for a long time, um, you'd think of like BBVA or MBank and those banks, they've been doing it for a long time um, and they've actually have a significant amount of their revenue along this space. So we expect to see more and more of it. Um, there's obviously the question then whether it, the date is going to stay the date and it's about timing. But I think either way, if PSD2 is coming, it's the right thing for all of us as consumers. It's going to, yes, it's going to op open up banking, but it's also going to make banking, provide more opportunities for banking and um, it's going to extend the revenue models and it's going to make sure that consumers have better choice and it's the right thing in the long term. David? Uh, yeah, uh, Maureen and I were just talking about this because it's one of the most poorly understood things. We, you know, we love acronyms in banking and regulators. So it means that, for instance, I would have to take all the customer data I have and provide it to any financial services, most of not in banking, company that wanted it. And then they pitch to your customers. So banks are like this all day but now we'd have to open up and share with everybody. Imagine sharing, it's scandalous. But that means that you've opened up, potentially, mm. uh, the negative is you've opened up massive competition to your proprietary customers and all of their behaviors and data. The customer has to sign off on it to say that it works. But if you're in the polling we've done, you get a mix of worried about data security and an awful lot of youth saying, younger generation saying, well, hang on, so if I could have 20 other people offering me great ideas, I'm, I'm, I'll sign up all day. So you, it has to, we have to wait and see how that plays out. But the interesting thing about it is in competitive advantage terms, so we're ready today. We're looking at the rules aren't ready, all of them, because the transmission pipes aren't worked out. Um, but we're ready to go, and we think we'll launch it anyway. Because what we can do, so imagine you go next month, We'll take the other customer who has accounts with us, but also with Virgin and with John Lewis and everything else. You bring all of that together, and they can see absolutely every financial element of their lives, of whatever kind, in one place, and manage all of that transaction activity in one place. That's an enormous, as you said, Mairead, opportunity for first movers in banking to basically capture a lot of other banks' customers and aggregate them into your universe. So there is a lot... Uh, people in the, in the regulatory sense in the UK talk often about this is the piece that opens up competition in banks and it is a thousand times more powerful than any other competition measure that's been introduced because you're sharing your customer data. So I think it's quite a challenging time. Uh, the heads of one of the biggest banks in the UK said will never happen over his dead body. Um, so 
There mm. are extremes. I have to say I'm slightly cynical about uh, banks sharing information uh, like this because if you take the experience of mortgage switching in Ireland, a lot of customers have found it very, very frustrating and very yeah. time-consuming as well. And that's a pretty simple thing to do in theory. Anyway, it should be a pretty simple thing to do. So this idea that banks are going to share all of your information with Well, I, I think that's right, but I think it gets regulated. Um, and I think that's what's wrong with banks, this desire to maintain control over all the data. Mm. You don't own the customer anymore. It's not your customer by right. I had a graduate say to me, what was the best business model that you saw succeeding that was actually the worst? Um, an Irish graduate. And it was taking all the banks. We run into all the villages. It was a quick one. We run into all the villages. You find the tallest building. It's the church. And you find the next, you build yourself the second tallest building. It's your bank building in the middle of the street, in the village. And then you fill it full of staff and benefits. And then you ask, what time? What about, what about the customers? Well, what time do they go to work? 9 o'clock. Great. We'll open at 10, 10.30. What about lunchtime? Christ, they'll be all over us like a rash. We close. Um, what time do they get off? 5. Well, shift work. 4. Close at 3.30. And as for weekends, they can bugger off. They'll be in with their kids. You know, so the graduates we were talking about, the experience of growing up with banks is closed. Ownership, preventing access, hierarchy. And then we said, we'll add to that a little bit of fun and throw in a culture of fear. So you must be terrified of your bank manager. And, and that is a legacy in the culture of banks, that proprietary entitlement closed. And I think what this legislation, more than any other, is going to do is open up that box. It'll be imperfect, as you say, but I think it will open up the box. And there will be a lot of challenges. So I think banks that jump right in, absolutely confident in their ability to provide a brilliant services, stay involved in the community, build their technology capability and embrace this one rather than hide from it uh, will be successful. Yeah. Opportunity. I think if, you're, if you're viewing PST2 as a, as a threat, you're in trouble. You have to see it as an opportunity. Okay, I'll take another question from the audience uh, at the back. Uh, Douglas Keating, I see. Um, yeah, the competition issue you raise is an interesting one. Um, I speak, I suppose, as a customer of, I'll just say, one of the pillar banks who recently moved uh, to another bank. And what struck me, and I suppose I know this, having been with that bank for 35 years, is the awesome stickiness of banking relationships. And if this brave new world we're talking about is to happen, I guess there has to be a lot more competition and, and switching between banks. And we, we talked there a bit about the role of digital in banking. And what struck me in my experience is that switching is an unbelievable nightmare. And it's only because my experience was so difficult that I was so upset that I went through the process of actually seeing it through. Uh, and I'm wondering what role there might be uh, for digital uh, and regulators in making that process easier, because I was still filling in forms and paper-based stuff and had no guarantee of things uh, moving over. None of this change can happen unless we make switching easier. And I wonder, David, uh, in the UK, if, if you're starting to see that, is, is Ireland, in your experience, way behind? Yeah, well, I, I think the... the uh the problem with switching is 3% of people really switch, um, and that's because of your problem. And they don't all have your level of irritation to get through it. Um, the digital thing is huge. And I do this myself with customers, because you just want to try. So um, I, I, I annoy people on the weekends and try to get them to try. When we put B out, it was straight through banking, 11 minutes, the best in class. And when you announced that, it was the best in the UK, you announced that, everyone starts to challenge it to see if it works. What is interesting, I'll give you an example. Uh, take a process, and I'll give you the exact time it took, because we did it publicly and recorded it. Um, a person with three accounts in another bank and two credit cards, one with the bank and one with another bank, coming onto our platform, 18 minutes. 
all switched live with the app downloaded, operating with the balance in the account and balance transfers done on the credit cards from both banks consolidated into one. Okay? Yes, because we're good at it, but other banks are also getting much better. So I'm not saying it's all about Clydesdale. But the digital side of that, it was that long. And that's all it took on one Saturday morning at around 11 o'clock in the morning to take two bank activities, multiple instruments, balances, transfer, be live on the app with the relationship and the money in your account. That's where I think the UK, through the Competition and Markets Authority, which is a major activity over the last few years, maybe puts England a little bit ahead in terms of the application of that. But without question, if you want to switch, you should be able to do it inside half an hour to an hour max, depending on your complexity, and you should be able to do it online and or with a help desk. Sometimes you need people so that you can explain your situation or you're missing something that you need. But the two of those, you should be able to do it in an hour, no question, absolutely. And then the, the statistics will change. Gavin, um, yeah. Doug mentioned it was a pillar bank. That's either AIB or, or Bank of Ireland. Could be bad news for <laughs> could be bad news. Bank of yeah, Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Uh, why are you making Good it news. so difficult for switching? Uh, I think the, the the key is the easy bit is actually opening the account. So like we've developed a full kind of online application where you can upload your documentation. The challenge in switching, which I think we have to get better at in Ireland, is things like direct debits. And, and all of the stuff that hangs out of your account. So I think you probably had uh, the, the experience you described, I, I'm, I'm assuming, is in that space because it's it, the actual physical opening of the account in the new branch, I think, has been made much easier by a lot of the banks in Ireland. Um, and I think that's important. I think really, for us, it's, it's why our, what's the reason behind the switch as opposed to necessarily the process itself. I think we definitely have work to do as an industry on switching direct debits and stuff. When things start to get out of control, it's usually in that space. But for me, it's, it's understanding why. And I think the digital um, change that's coming with the ability to have open banking, it's an opportunity to not give your customers a reason to leave, that you have to provide a great service, a great digital service, and not, as, as, as David said, wrap your arms around things, but, but be very open about services that you know you're going to get better somewhere else. So whether it's you know a particular service that's from you know a fintech startup company that that's 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 blossoming in, in Ireland or in Europe, um, give your customer access to that, um, and and make sure that you can facilitate your customer uh, through whatever needs they have, um, whether you can do it yourself or whether you have access through a third party. I think that's the important piece, but certainly on the process of. The, the, the bits are the, the awkward bits at the end of the switch where normally we would have those issues that come up. And I, I do agree that the UK does that better than, than the Irish market. I think we've made a lot of inroads into the account opening process and making sure that you can set up a new account with your new bank relatively easily, um, upload all your um, AML documentation, etc., and do that. So a lot of progress there, more to go for, I think, on the switch, and I agree with you. Okay, we're moving towards the end. So I'd just like you all, uh, each of you on the panel, if you like, to look into your crystal ball, look out eight years to 2025, and just give me some prediction as to the future shape of banking in Ireland, abroad, wherever you like, uh, and what impact is digital going to have, and will there be branches? Right. So if I look ahead, I think technology will be seen seamless and faded in the background. I do think conversational banking and you know what's, what's behind it, AI and so forth, will become much more prevalent. So if you want to say, can I afford a new car? It will be able to kind of look into its archive of information, kind of go, how much does the repayments be and how much do you tend to have at the end of each month? So I think it'll be a lot more of conversations, um, which becomes more accessible for all people, whether they've got even here or sight impairments and so forth, is going to push that further. So I think from our perspective, actually technology is going to be an enabler in the background, but I don't necessarily think it's going to be something you're necessarily going to see in the foreground in it, and this becomes much more seamless. 
Gavin. I always find it a dangerous question. If you asked me eight years ago uh, where did I see the bank in eight years, I'd have missed our biggest channel completely. Um, so I think what, it, what it's about is just setting up your your bank um, uh, to, to, for your customers to make sure that, you know, as their needs change at the pace that we've seen over the last few years, I think that pace is going to accelerate with some of the stuff we've talked about. So it's about being ready. It's about responding to what those customers' needs are. You're going to get some of the stuff right. You're going to get some of the stuff wrong. But it's about making sure you stay relevant with our customers. Um, and, you know, whatever that will look like in eight years' time will be driven by our customers. And that branch network, those 250 or so Bank of Ireland branches across the country, resilient, you're guaranteeing that each one of those will be open. A, a resilient presence across all of the, the country has, has stayed uh, over many couple of hundred years across our branches. So I have no doubt we will have a resilient presence and a, a really robust presence in, in, in all of our communities thriving, I would hope, uh, around the country. David. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Um, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> thanks, thanks, David. No, no, I was just thinking. You were touching important. I was thinking about though. the resilience, um, but um, oh. <laughs> uh, but I, I think for me it's very straightforward. I think the uh, technology companies and telecom companies will own banks, or at least it'll be joint ventures. I don't think there are banks and other companies and technology companies. I think the provision of banking services will have fused. Very simply, so you know we're not going to be standalone banks with all of our pieces and our boxes and our buildings and our channels. That's just not going to happen. So I think that changes. It could be very exciting. It could be an enormous challenge. It could be very much where I think a bank has to stop talking about being a bank. I think you're in the provision of financial services, and you may add well-being, lifestyle, other things to that, and you're going to be integrated into some way technology companies and telecom companies. That'd be a random guess. Ex machina. Okay, David, I can't let you go without asking you about AIB's uh, upcoming IPO. Uh, I know in your time you'd hoped uh, to have done it. Uh, it didn't happen, unfortunately. Um, but it would appear now that the bank is on the cusp of an IPO. That's, uh, the minister has talked about some time between mid-May and early July. Uh, what do you think? Will they get it away? And is now the right time actually to sell? I think it's critical that they do get it away. Um, I think the, everything we've talked about today are immensely challenging issues to manage in a board and a bank. Um, and I think having the uh, support of investors of a diverse nature who have different backgrounds helping you execute that plan, I think that's a, an imperative. Um, the environment today, um, you can predict about three weeks ahead in every market now, um, but Marine and Le Pen is temporarily not the, the front runner. And all the markets have reacted. So if you talk about a market environment for investors, risk on, there's, a, there's a, an environment that's receptive to an IPO in the timeframes that the ministers talked about. So I would be very support, supportive and hopeful that they do get the job done. Right. Any sense of how much we might get? Uh, lots. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. And finally, um, you, you, you were CEO of AIB. Um, I'm sure you're very happy in the UK doing your job as you are at the minute, but... There is a very senior role uh, vacant, or shortly will be vacant, uh, as CEO of Bank of Ireland. I just wonder whether any uh, executive search firms have maybe knocked on your door and said, David, any chance you might be interested in a move back to the Emerald Isle? Well, I, I did look at the job, but I heard that they're going to retain all the branches, so I wasn't interested. <laughs> <laughs> touché, touché. Okay. On that note, we shall leave it there. That's it for this week from Inside Business. It's been our first ever live in front of a studio audience of Inside Business, and I hope you, the audience, have enjoyed it, and those at home as well. And um, We thank you uh, for your participation. And my thanks to our panel, David Duffy, Murray Jackson, and Gavin Kelly. My thanks also to our producers, Declan Conlon and Jennifer Ryan, and Rob O'Sullivan, who 
who's our sound engineer. I'd also like to say a word of thanks to my colleague on the commercial side, Claire Luby, and her colleagues uh, for helping us organize uh, tonight's event. Um, I want to thank you, the studio audience, for your participation. Once again, I want to remind you that you can uh, get the latest business news uh, from the Irish Times straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com. You can also follow our feed on Twitter and Facebook. And of course, this uh, podcast is free to download uh, on iTunes and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcast. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.